without grace and love, we will never bring healing to people's lives if all we do is point out the withered aspects of people's life without grace and love. The journey towards healing in our life requires us to step out of our comfort zone and towards the God zone. Welcome to Moody Presents. From Moody Radio, I'm John Geiger, and our teacher, heard in that clip we just played, is Dr. Mark Job. He's president of Moody Bible Institute and founding pastor of New Life Community Church in Chicago. Today, Mark begins a message in the book of Luke about the man with the withered hand. What can we learn from his encounter with Jesus? Well, it's all part of our continuing series called Bullseye Living, Staying on Target with God. Pastor Mark, is really looking forward to sharing this message with you today. It's really an important truth that affects all of us because, well, we all have embarrassing (laughs) private areas of our lives that are kind of hard to talk about. I guess I'm thinking about the email exchange I've had in the last 24 hours with a guest that uh, we'd booked for an interview here, and I was sure everything was all set until I found out my calendar showed the interview an hour earlier than the guest's calendar. My mistake. And to be honest... This happens more often than it should. I I just struggle with keeping calendars straight. Just ask my wife. (laughs) She keeps ours. Listen, the point is we all have difficult, embarrassing areas of our lives that are kind of hard to talk about. And today we're going to open the book of Luke and get into the story of Jesus and the man with the withered hand. Now, there's a lot in his story that compares to ours today when it comes to dealing with our shame and failures and our journey to find wholeness. Here's Pastor Mark on Moody Presents. In Luke chapter 6, we have a powerful story that I believe has a message for us today if it's combined with faith. In fact, I believe this message is going to speak to the deepest heart of many of your souls. And you're going to leave this place knowing that God has spoken to you this morning. It tells us in Luke chapter 6, by the way, Luke was a doctor, Dr. Luke. And he wrote the Gospel of Luke, but he also wrote the book of Acts. And uh, so if you want to just kind of follow a story right along, you could read Luke, and then you could read Acts, written by the same author, and it kind of picks up, Acts picks up where the Gospel of Luke left off. And Luke talks a lot about, he tells stories of Jesus, he talks a lot about healing, he's a doctor, a medical doctor, and so he refers to the healings of Jesus. And in Luke chapter 6, we have a story of a healing, but it's a powerful story of a man that had a withered hand. It says, on another Sabbath, he, referring to Jesus, went into the synagogue. Now, there's two words that I need to define for you. Number one is the Sabbath, and number two is the synagogue. The Sabbath in the Jewish culture was the day of rest. It was the day when people worshipped. And it was part of the Mosaic law, the Old Testament law, that you were not to work on the Sabbath at all. Uh, you could not, uh, you could not uh, make food. You had to prepare it the day before and eat it later because that was considered work. Uh, you couldn't uh, make mud to do bricks. That was considered work. You couldn't do any kind of labor of any kind You could only walk so far because if you walked further than that, it was considered work. And so they were very strict at observing this. It was called the Sabbath, the day of rest. 
The word synagogue is another term that you'll find often in the New Testament, and it refers to the, not the temple, there was something called the temple, and that is where you had the holy of holies and inner. The synagogue was a place, it was, it was comparable to what we call a church today. It was the Jewish equivalent of a church. So it happens to be on the day of rest, and it happens to be in the synagogue in a church. On another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching. Jesus was considered a rabbi, a teacher, so he was teaching in a church-type setting. And a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. Some of your translations say withered. Now, here's, we know, here's what we know about this man. We don't know exactly how his hand became withered, but we know that it was his right hand, and we know that it was dysfunctional. It had become atrophied, withered. Now, there's some extra biblical teaching or some legends that tell us that this man was a stone cutter. In other words, he made his life off of cutting stone, which is the equivalent today of a bricklayer. Uh, that's what the homes and the temples and educational centers were made out of. They were made out of stone. And it was his right hand, which was the hand typically that most people use to work with, his primary earning hand. Now, in the Jewish culture, the right hand had several symbolisms to it. It was the hand upon which you bless people with, the right hand of blessing. If you as a father were going to bless your children, you would take your right hand and you would place your right hand upon the head of your children and you would bless them. Also in the Jewish culture, if you were to greet someone, it was rude to greet someone with your left hand because the right hand was the hand of greeting. In fact, it's still true in some Middle Eastern cultures that the left hand is used for unsavory things, your toiletry issues, basically. I'm not going to get more in detail with that, but you didn't want to give someone your left hand because you didn't know where your left hand had been, basically. And so you always wanted to greet people with your left hand. It was an insult to greet people with your left hand. And so you always greeted people with your left hand, you, with your right hand. You typically worked with your right hand. You blessed with your right hand. So this man with the shriveled right hand, according to the, ten, the, verb, the verb tense here, it seems like this man had not always been that way. So we can deduct that this man probably had had an accident of some sort or had been hit with a disease of some sort later on in life, and the shriveled hand had taken away his ability to work at his job. It had taken away his ability to bless his children. It had taken away his ability to interact socially on a normal level with other people. In essence, his shriveled hand had taken away his dignity. And I started to think about the shriveled hand of this man as I thought about it, it struck me that we all have shriveled areas of our life. You see, what, sh what withered represents is it represents that life has left. If you have a flower that's withered, it means that that flower no longer is generating life 
we look at the petals and they wither and they fall off, it means it's dead. And when it's withered, we throw it away. It no longer has life pouring into it, pumping into it. And so it represents something that used to work, something that used to function, something that used to be life-giving, but no longer is. It represents, in fact, something that's shameful to us. I believe we all have withered parts of our life that represent shame to us, failures, times where we blew it, things that we would rather tear out of the pages of history of our life and act like it never existed. Our failures represent withered portions of our life. Some of us have been to places and done things that we just want to forget about. We want it to be over. We don't want anybody to mention it again. We want it to be a part of our past. We have areas of our life that make us embarrassed, that people stare at. We don't want them to see. We want to hide. Some foot shameful to us. It represents dysfunction in our life. It could be a secret battle of depression that you have in your life that you don't want anybody to know about, that you go through these tunnels of darkness that come upon you and you can't escape them and it's your withered portion that you like to hide these deep times of depression that you don't want anybody to know about. It could represent an eating disorder, bulimia, that you do in the privacy of your own bathroom and, and, and because of this compulsive, addictive thing that you need to maintain that weight that you, that you binge and throw up in the bathroom and it represents a dysfunction. You know it's wrong. You've tried to stop. You know it's not healthy for you, but you know what? It, it's just a part of you that represents some shame to your life and, and you don't know how to get rid of it. You don't know how to overcome it, but it's there. Maybe you've been through a nasty, tragic divorce, and it was hurtful to your children and hurtful to your marriage, and it represents a dark section of your life, and people still run into you and ask about your ex-wife, and you have to explain it all over how it didn't work out. Explain all over how you're no longer married, and they, oh, oh, and you just don't want to run into them. And then you change your name back to what your name used to be. And people still call you by your old married name. And it reminds you every time that, yeah, it was a bad season. And, yeah, it didn't work out. And, and, and your kids are involved in the middle of it. It's just a withered portion of your life. Maybe it was a tragedy of an abortion at one point in your life in your early 20s and when you didn't know what to do and your parents don't even know about it, but it was that secret escape to that clinic and that abortion. And every time that birthday of that child's abortion comes around, no one else knows about it. No one else calls up to say how you're doing, but you remember it. It still haunts you in your mind. You still think about how old that child would be at this time, at this age. And it's a shriveled portion of your life. You don't want people to know about it. You don't advertise it. 
but it's there. You see, every single person in this auditorium, we have shriveled areas in our life. All of us do. All of us. The thing is that this man had a physical shriveling. It's hard to hide. And the Bible tells us that the Pharisees, in verse 7, it introduces the Pharisees, and it says the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. You see, the Pharisees, uh, some of you know about the Pharisees, but the Pharisees were the very religious people. There was about 6,000 Pharisees in Jerusalem, and they were people that liked to pray in public but not in private. They liked to sit in places of prominence, and they liked people to think that they were very religious. They knew rituals but didn't know the heart of God. They were judgmental, critical. They looked down at sinners. They were people that considered themselves very self-righteous, and it's interesting to me that although they were the most religious people, they were also the people most against Jesus. Isn't that interesting? That sometimes it's the most religious that are the most anti-Christ. You're listening to Moody Presents with Mark Job. We'll pick up again in Luke chapter 6 in just a moment and discover some encouragement to help us deal with the difficult areas of life. For now, I need to tell you about our website so you, like many others who have asked, can go back and listen to past programs, check out the many resources we offer to take you on your next step with Jesus Christ, and explore the many ministries of the Moody Bible Institute. Just visit moodypresents.org. Again, you're heading to moodypresents.org. You'll love the link that takes you to Today in the Word, our devotional, or Moody Publishers. Back now to the story of the man with the shriveled hand and what you and I can learn from his interaction with Jesus. This is Moody Presents. Here again is Pastor Mark Job. Hey, do you know that you can become religious and not really become like Jesus? Do you realize there's people that are religious and are far from God? Do you understand that? That you can be highly religious but yet miss the heart of God. In fact, my goal, I've told you this often, I'll tell you it again, my goal is not to make you more religious. I don't want you to become more religious. If by religious we mean that you learn a religious culture and rituals, I don't want you to become more religious. I want you to become more spiritual and I want you to become more authentic in your following of Jesus Christ, not more religious. You see, the Pharisees were known for their judgment of people. They looked at sinner. They looked at Jesus. And one of their big complaints with Jesus is, how come you hang around with people that are seedy? Do you realize that that was one of the big complaints about Jesus? Jesus, you let prostitutes come near you. Ooh. You let them touch your feet. You hang out with people that others know are really bad sinners. One of the big complaints about Jesus is you allow people around you that come from bad backgrounds, that have a bad history. 
and you accept them, hug them, embrace them, talk with them, and do you know where they've been and what they've done and how long they've been there? Jesus, if you're really such a holy person, how could you hang out with people that are so unholy? You see, the Pharisees had a religious mentality and they judged and looked down at people that they considered to be less righteous than they were. I believe there's so many people turned off to Christianity because they've been around Pharisee-like attitudes in Christianity. They've been around people that were, that, were, that were religious but not like Jesus. They've been around people that judged and pointed and put down and said, you're a sinner and this and that, but they were not like the heart of Jesus. I believe that's turned so many people off Christianity. I believe there's tons of people out in the streets that don't attend any church today because they have a view of church people that they're sort of hypocritical and judgmental. They're not against God, but they're against church. And they say, we don't believe in organized religion. I always say, join us. We're disorganized religion. I think you'll like us. Hey, but God forbid that we ever get so religious that we develop the heart of a Pharisee. God forbid that New Life Community Church would ever develop a Pharisee type of religion. And what I mean by that is the doors of this church need to be constantly open to people no matter what background they come from, no matter what neighborhood they come from, no matter what they've done in life or where they've been in life. Hopefully the doors of this church will be wide open for people to come here that haven't been in church in a long time, that may have men never been in church, and people that are coming here that really desperately need God and this is the place they need to come, and they don't need to be judged when they walk in these doors like, hey, do you measure up to our standard? In fact, if someone walks in these doors on Sunday morning and they have the hangover look, <laughs> and a breath that speaks strongly of the hangover look, and I've talked to people on Sunday morning here, just smelling their breath almost gets you high. <laughs> it's the, I've been partying all night, and I haven't shaved, and I haven't changed, and I'm miserable inside, and I showed up in church because someone invited me. My eyes are red and glazed because, man, I've been out there. But I came to this church hoping that I would find hope somewhere. Knowing that, that where I'm, what I'm doing and where I'm at is just causing me to be more and more empty. But in my heart I know that my solution is in God. And if someone walks in the doors like that and you sort of scoot over like, he don't let me sit next to this guy. And sort of like, what are you doing in church? Thank God they're here. But you see, a church that has a Pharisee mentality where we point out the withered aspects in people's lives without grace and love, we will never bring healing to people's lives if all we do is point out the withered aspects of people's life without grace and love. And I believe that the journey towards wholeness, the journey towards healing in our life, requires us to step out of our comfort zone and towards the God zone. Notice what Jesus does with this man 
who is in front of all these Pharisees and in the synagogue, already self-conscious about his withered hand, because the Pharisees believed that if you had a physical deformity, that that physical deformity was the result of the judgment of God. And they were fond of saying when someone had an injury or a physical deformity, who sinned, him or his parents? And the Bible says in verse 8, look at what it says. And they were debating about whether it was right to heal on the Sabbath or not. See, religious people get caught up in religious arguments that really don't matter. Here's a man that needs healing, and all they're concerned about is whether Jesus is going to heal on the Sabbath or not. Please give me a break. This man needs healing, and you're wondering if it's right for Jesus to heal on the Sabbath because healing could be considered a form of work? You see, I don't know, I don't know what you're thinking. You could sit in, in your chair right now and smile at me, and I could think, well, they're with me. And you could be thinking, I wonder where his car's at so I can slash his tires. You know, I, I, I don't know what you're thinking. You could seem like a really nice person, but really not be thinking that fondly of me. And believe me, you wouldn't be the first. Probably not the last either. But, but the thing about Jesus is Jesus always knows what we're thinking. You see, right now, as you sit in this place, the heart of God, the Spirit of God searches through and knows exactly where you're at, knows exactly where you're thinking. You see, He knows if you're running or trying to hide. He knows what you've struggled with this week. He knows who you've talked to, where you've been, what you've watched on television, what you've, what you've clicked on your computer screen this week. He knows your conversations, where you've been, who you've been with. He knows how long you've been there. He knows the neighborhoods you've driven through. He knows what music you've listened to. He knows what's gone through your head. He knows every single thing about you, every single thing. There's nothing to hide. He said to the man with the shriveled hand, get up and stand in front of everyone. Now, how many of you know that when you have a deformity or when you have a physical trait that right now, right then, you're a little bit embarrassed, that the last thing you want to do is stand up in front of everybody? You know, they tell us that the number one fear in America, you know what it is? It's not height. It's not death. It's not taxes. It's not cancer. You know what the number one fear of Americans is? To stand up in front of a crowd and have to speak. Number one fear. There's something about it that causes the shivers to go through our system. You know why? Because there's a sense of they're judging me. What do they think about and how many of you know that when you have something that you're self-conscious about, you think everybody's staring at it? How about it? You wake up in the morning, ladies, you wake up in the morning, it's just a bad day, and there it goes, that big old pimple on your forehead. 
You cover it up, you make it up. But you know what? You feel like when you say hi that people's eyes are going right to it. So you feel like they're staring at it. I know they're staring right at it. And so you don't want to go out. You don't want to do this. You know, you, they're staring right at it because you feel whenever you have a little bit of something that's not right, you feel like everybody's looking. How about it? We get self-conscious about it. We think like everybody's looking. I, I know young teenage kids, when they get a haircut and they hate their haircut, they go around for a week in the summer with hats on, with big hats that cover their head because they feel like everybody's looking at it. So this man stands up in front of the entire crowd, and here's what I want you to understand. Listen, I want you to understand that the journey to wholeness begins when we get out of our comfort zone and we're willing to step into the God zone, what God is asking us to do. And listen, there will never be healing in your life. There will never be wholeness in your life. There will never be at absolute dealing with the withered parts of your life until you are willing to stop hiding it, and until you're willing to take steps out of your comfort zone to deal with the tough areas of your life that God is asking you to deal with. So he stands up, the hardest thing for a man with a withered hand, stands up in front of a crowd knowing that all the eyes are on, especially the judgmental Pharisees. And if you've ever been around someone that has a physical deformity or someone, if you've ever been injured or hurt, or you know that people stare. Ah, one of the worst things is the staring of people. So he stands up in front of every, everybody's eyes, scan the man, and they scan his withered hand. A tough challenge today from Mark Job here on Moody Presents, but a wonderful look at how God can use our imperfections to reach wholeness if we shine God's light on them and do what He asks us to do. We'll dig even deeper next time. You know, we'd love to connect with you, and a great way to do that is by meeting us at our website, moodypresents.org. You can listen to our messages, send us an email, or bless a friend by sharing the program when you go to moodypresents.org. Thanks also for your prayers and financial support as we bring Moody Presents to you week after week. I'm John Geiger, thanking you for connecting today. Hey, we'll see you next time for more Moody Presents.